Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And here we are. We are, we've been on the road uh, just between Salt Lake City and our home quite a bit this week. <laughs> That's one road with a lot of travel on it. But Linda, I have to say, you know, uh, when we hear that, that chime, uh, you know, the, like the clock chime, and then it goes right and da 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 our little theme thing, I, I got that in my mind. And whenever I hear a, ch- a church bell or anything chime that thing, I, I kind of want to hear the eyes the on the road music coming right out of it, you <laughs> no. know. I've got it in my head. You know how you get a song in your head and get it out? <laughs> Yeah, I know you do that almost every day. What your re- listeners don't realize is that this man gets a song from like the 40s and 50s in his mind well, almost the 40s, every morning. I wasn't even alive, but I, I well, do, they're old songs. I do remember old songs. I think a large part of my brain memory capacity is sort of clogged up with the lyrics of every song that's ever been written. I don't know how that happens, but... That's neither here nor there, but I, you know, the other thing that just happened right before our show, if, if you listeners were tuned in, in the uh, little interim there was a, a little thing about the Wheatley Institute, and I just have to say, Jack Wheatley's our neighbor. He lives in our ward. We love him so much, and he's such a great guy, and his institute's doing such great things. And the little one-minute message that just came on before our show, at least on this day that we're doing it live was uh, about, you know, no matter how you try to say men and women aren't different, the fact is they are different. (laughs) And I was just thinking, it reminds me of, uh, I I smile when I think of this. Back in my graduate school days at at Harvard at the business school, uh, it was the early part of the feminist movement, and it was just really getting a lot of momentum. And we had a couple of really strident, almost radical feminists in our section, in our classroom, and uh, they just took over. They just commandeered every discussion and turned it into a thing about equality and feminism. And generally, Linda, you and I support feminism and on so many levels, but th- this just got so extreme. And I had a f- really good friend who I wonder where Dominique is now. We had a a French classmate, his name was Dominique Mars, and he was really French, and he just finally got to where he couldn't stand it any longer with these feminist classmates, and he stood up and he he gave an impassioned lecture on Viva la Difference and how the whole world works because of the differences between the man and the woman. And <laughs> I've often wished I had that on recording and I could play it for 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 people who try to who try to insist that equality has to mean sameness. That's a big problem in our world. Yeah, exactly. Although as you said earlier, we do support a lot of great feminist ideas that men and women should share more and I think that movement actually did us a lot of good in the LDS church because now we see, and I'm not completely uh, putting the. Well, you're just saying that, it was, you're just saying it was a mixed blessing. Well, yes, but we're seeing daddies out in the foyer with the babies. Where I'm seeing daddies at 7-Eleven with babies, daddies everywhere with babies. In fact, the other day I was saying, 
why don't they provide a changing table in the men's restroom? Good point. That's something we should think about. Yeah, because I'm tired of going in the women's restroom to change babies, Linda. I know. (laughs) I know. There are things that we need to think about in that regard. But anyway, uh, viva la difference. Um, Yeah, that's not our topic for today, but it is a good topic, and we ought to do a whole show on it sometime. The whole idea... And this came out in the little Wheatley spot a minute ago, too, of synergy that, uh, you know, if if it works right within a couple, and this has a lot to do with parenting, by the way, if it works right between a couple, uh, it is one plus one equals more than two. It equals three or four or five because of synergy and because in a good symbiotic sort of complementary relationship between a mom and a dad, uh, and it's not going to be the same. There's not one formula where the dad always does these things, the mom always does these things. It's an individual case based on the gifts and propensities and talents and interests of each of the two, the man and the woman, the husband and the wife, the, the mom and the dad. But where that works well in in any number of different formulas, it creates a synergy which is not only good for the marriage, but fabulously good for the children because they see the complementary roles of the mom and the dad and they learn to want a marriage for themselves. And and believe, I mean, one of the things we've been working a lot on, uh, Linda, is lately uh, with some committees we're on and so on is the whole question of, why are millennials not getting married? Why is this millennial generation shying away from marriage? Why, or if they are getting married, why is it later and later in their lives? And there's a lot of, it's a complex subject and there's a lot of reasons, but uh, but one of the big ones is they haven't seen, in so many cases, a model of a good marriage. What they've seen is divorce and discord and so on, and that's part of the reason that they don't want marriage for themselves, or at least not until they're sure they can create some kind of a perfect union. Well, as you say, there are so many reasons, and you better be careful because we have a son who's a millennial that is not married. And um, so, you know, well, and that's I'm not, not the I'm reason. I'm not judging, and I'm not saying Of course, should, I just want to be yeah. sure you're careful. Well, and I, you're right, but, uh, but don't you agree that uh, really if you had one wish, it would be that everyone in that generation and every other generation had seen a model in their own home, hopefully, or in some other home of a synergistic marriage where the husband and the wife, the mom and the dad are equal but not the same. Yeah, of course. Um, speaking of millennials who are not getting married, we went to the most fun wedding reception last night. Just We are going to ease into our topic uh, right here, right away, but it was yeah, so we'll it. fun because this is a dear friend, actually a missionary of ours when we were mission presidents way many 40 years ago and um, his son was being married and he had just returned from a mormon mission three months ago at and left at 18 so he was 20 and his little wife was 20 and honestly you've never seen anybody happier in your life they were off the wall so excited Um, they'd known each other for years. It wasn't that they just known each other for three months. Well, she waited for him on his mission, and they got married three months after he got home. So he's 20 years and three months old, 
and getting married. And now a lot of people would instantly criticize of that. Of course. And, and there are some things to worry about. Well, there. of course. And everybody was, including the parents, were kind of rolling their eyes like, oh, good luck. You know, I hope yeah, this they, works. They don't you know. know what they're but, in for and so on. But that is the case no matter what, no matter when you get married. Well, that's right. And, and let's, let's talk about that for just a minute, Linda. We can put off our topic for today just for another minute or two because you know, here's a guy, you know, he's a 20-year-old guy marrying a 20-year-old girl, Neither, and both of them just starting college in their first semester of well, their freshman year. At least he was. I think she's been. Maybe she's, she's had a year, yeah. yeah but uh, and, 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 and working at the same time, and, and a lot of people would say, I mean, that is like the precise, I'm not praising that, I'm just saying, think about this for a minute, because that's the precise opposite of the trends that we observe every day where people are waiting longer and longer to marry and essentially saying, hey, I don't want to get married until I've got my education out of the way, I've got a good job, I've bought my own house, I'm sort of independent, I can see my way clear to give a child a good life, to buy him the things he needs. And and so, you know, when you start adding all those things up, you're waiting until you're 30 or, or older to even think about the ideal time to get married. And now, let's think about this. There are some good aspects to that. But but now think of this other extreme of a 22, 20-year-old getting married, just starting college. Who's to say? Who's to make that judgment? Because maybe this young couple will struggle mightily and wish that they'd waited to get married. On the other hand, maybe they'll have these adventures of finding themselves getting their feet under them and so on and getting their education and and starting to have uh, some possessions and working towards a home. Maybe they'll do all that together and it will be for them a wonderful adventure that they're happy to share with each other. Who knows? Well, who knows? And I do have to say our youngest was just married last year. If you've been listening for a while, you know that. She was 29 and her husband now uh, is 30. I mean, he at the time they were 29 and 30. And they have not had smooth sailing. <laughs> they they have been on their own for so long that it's been very difficult for them to acclimate. So you're right. There are advantages and disadvantages to both sides. The main thing is that you really feel strongly that you found the right person and you're totally committed. Well, and I will say this. if there, if, You can't judge individual cases, but maybe you can judge trends. And we have a lot of problems with the trend, not an individual case. We wouldn't judge that, but with the trend toward waiting and waiting and waiting for marriage and maybe putting it off, even when you're pretty sure you've found, even when you're 100% sure you've found the love of your life, uh, and then you're still putting it off, putting it off, then we see so many problems coming up, including infertility and the inability to have children late, later in life. And that's just one of a number of things. So I guess if if I was going to make some simplistic sort of naive statement, Linda, it would which be, you do quite a lot, which I do quite a lot, it would be when you know you've found the one, get married, period, full stop. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, so just um, to ease into our actual topic for today, um, it concerns one sentence, decisions in advance, or one thought 
um, one mantra, decisions in advance. We just think it's so important for kids to make decisions in advance. And one of those would not be, I will be married when I'm uh, 20, no. or I will be married when I'm 28, which is was my goal. Um, it really is important that we have kids thinking about their decisions for the future when they're young, when they're 9, 10, 11, 12 before they have to make some big decisions. So we're now shifting into the, the official topic for the week, which is helping kids, I'd say, between 8 and adolescence and teenage years to make some decisions before they actually face the decision point or the peer pressure or the moment of truth when they have to come out on something. And, and you can guess we're talking about decisions such as whether they will smoke, whether they will drink, whether they will experiment with drugs, whether they will ride in a car with someone who's been drinking, whether they will uh, be honest, whether they'll cheat on tests, a whole gamut of things, all of which are decisions that are far better made in advance of the actual occurrence of the dilemma or the situation, right, Linda? Right. I mean, there are some positive things as well as the things that they have to guard against, uh, premarital sex and all that. Um, and that is I will go to college. Um, I will be a good friend. You know, all those kinds of things. Kids can really decide that when they're very young. But there's a really interesting process we like to suggest that you do with these kids. And so we'll give you some specifics, some very specifics, right after this break. Some specifics that involve case studies and role-playing and a diary in which kids make decisions in advance. We'll be right back after this brief break. Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. All right, let me set this up, Linda, and then you walk us through it. You've got a child. You've, the child is, uh, is a young adolescent, or maybe he's even as young as eight years old, and you're thinking as a parent and worrying about the difficult world that child is going to live in and the, the many temptations and the much peer pressure that that child is going to face, what do you do? Do you just wait until the going gets tough and then hope and pray that you can be there for that child and help him make the right decisions when he's 15, 16, 17 years old? You know, that's the question, isn't it? And a lot of times we just don't even consider that question. We just wait until some big thing erupts, and then we think, oh, my gosh, what can I do about that? Um, so what is decision? What is? What do we mean when we say a child? We're talking about children here, that a child can make these big decisions in advance. What do we mean? Well, and you and I disagree a little bit about how young you should start. I, I mean, you know, they have a lot to think about when they're 8. I'd say start when they're 10, 11, 12, 13. I'd say 8 because that's the age of accountability. But whatever age they start, what are we talking about? We here? are talking about having them think through what they have decided they want to do in their lives or how they want to be in their lives. And it is so interesting. We have done this with every one of our kids, um, and we do not want them to make a big, long list all at once. We want them to think about one thing at a time. Well, and this is based on the premise that the best time to make any decision 
is in a cool, non-pressure situation where you can think clearly. Right. And we just have them say, you know, actually we've played a little game with them. We've said, now let's let's think about what you can decide right now. You're only 10, but what can you decide right now? Let's see. Could you decide how many kids you're going to have? Let's decide how many kids you're going to have. They go, oh, no, I can't do that. Well, how about in like in 20 years? Where do you think you'll be living? Well, I don't know. Some of them would know. I mean, next door to my mom or whatever. <laughs> but um, most of them, no, no, I don't know. Well, how about could you decide right now that you're that you're never going to cheat on a test? And we've got some kind of funny reactions to that with with parents who have tried this. Um, sometimes they look at you like, oops, too late for that. <laughs> but um, usually they say, well, yeah, I could. And then, well, we want you to just think about that. Just think about that decision until you decide that's what you really want. Now, let's back up a little and give you kind of a setting here. We're, we're assuming that you're a parent and you're sitting down with a child. Let's say the child's 10 years old. And you have, a, you have, you have prepped this by giving that child a diary. Or maybe the child already has a nice diary. And you now designate a page or two at the very back of the journal, and you are going to label that decisions I have already made or decisions in advance. And now what Linda's saying is you're you're setting that up, and, and you might have a little fun and, and, and help the child realize there are a lot of decisions you can't make now, a lot of things you have to wait on. You don't know who you're going to marry. You don't know where you're going to live, on and on and on. But... Then you throw it back to the child. Is there some, are there some things you can decide right now? And this is not a 10-minute discussion, by the way, and this is maybe not a one-time discussion. Maybe, maybe all you do the first time you sit down together one-on-one or two-on-one, maybe both parents are doing this with the child, maybe all you try to do the first time is sort of set it up and get him to understand, oh, yeah, there are some things I can decide in advance. And then you bring it along, maybe in a second session or whatever. But you don't want to take too much of the initiative. If you start saying, hey, you could decide this right now. Hey, you could decide you're never going to smoke a cigarette. Hey, you could. Then you're taking the ownership away from the child. Stay with it. Talk about it until the child says, you know, uh, whatever he says. I, I Well, one thing I'm sure of, I'm never going to try drugs. Okay. All right. Let's. Should we write that on your list yet, or should we think about that a little more? How about I give you a couple of case studies of what you might face in five years? Well, you, you go ahead with that, Linda. You're, you're good at the case studies. How well, would... I mean, you learned this from the Harvard Business School. That's how you do everything is with case studies. And, you know, it really is interesting that um, you have to say, oh, well, that's, that's a great idea, but let me just take you five years in advance. So this kid has said, you know, um, I'm never going to take drugs, and he's 12. He's 10. Let's stay with the 10-year-old. And so it's five years. He's 15 now. All right. And so he goes, uh, the most popular girl in the school asks him to come to a party with him, and uh, he goes, and everybody that's there is popular. And the most popular kids in the school, there's only about 20 of them there, but they, he recognizes this is it. I you're, have, you're telling this to the child, so you're in the, you're in the second person. You are 15. You are now at a party. You have this situation. Right. And then you look at him and, and, and say, now what if that girl comes to you 
And she uh, opens up her hand, which has been closed, and says, hey, you have just got to try this pill. This little pill, you take this, and it will give you the wildest ride you've ever had in your life. It's not... You know, it's not dangerous. In three hours, you'll feel just the same as you did when you took it. But you have to try this. It's so exciting. And guess what? Everyone at this party has tried one of these pills. Now, what do you say? And the friends are coming up and patting them on the back and saying, come on, man. you got to try this. You, I mean, you'll never know until you try it. And you try to create this little movie in this kid's mind where he's like, whoa. What do I do? What do I do? You're you're trying to you're being the devil's advocate in a way, but you're doing it in a story-like, role-playing kind of way, and maybe that little ten-year-old says, "I don't know. I I don't know what I do. I don't know." And then and then you as a parent probably say, "Well, that's that's fine. Let, that's why we're talking about it. Let's think about that a little more. Let's not write that on your list just yet of decisions you've already made." Let's think about that a little longer until you sort of do know what you'd do and what you'd say. Yeah. It's really fun in any case. Um, I mean, that goes along with um, drunk driving. I mean, driving with with the person that's been drinking. I mean, if they think about it in advance and they know what to say, if you role play, you know, this is what we need to do. And, of course, you're talking about teenagers now because they're driving. Um, it really is so important for him to have thought through what am I going to do, what am I going to say when I'm faced with that, because really in most cases, when, not if. And what, and, what, and, what if yeah, and what the obstacles might be. Like let's take another case, like let's take a case study of a case study. Let's say you're doing this with a 10-year-old, or let's say, let's say this time it's a 12-year-old, because really, Linda, there is a range. This is a valuable exercise. If you try it with an eight-year-old and he's just not getting it, he's just too young. Wait a couple of years, and yeah. if you've got a and if well, you've got a fourteen-year-old, it's not too late. It's like the idea of let's project your life a little here and see if there's some things that you're pretty sure you've already decided in your own mind. Yeah, and you have to. It depends on the child too. I'm thinking of our grandchildren. We have a couple of ten-year-olds that would totally go over their head. If you talk to him about that's drugs, true. Yeah. but you know, as they get older and you get more worried about certain things, that's the time to talk to him, as you know your own child's personality. Exactly. And so let's take another case study. Let's say you've got your 12-year-old, and your, and and let's say this this cute little 12-year-old says, "Well, one thing I'm sure of, I want to write it on my list of decisions in advance. I will serve a mission." Now, now, this is interesting, parents. Your, your typical reaction is, oh, great, son, I'm so proud of you. Write that on your list right now. But but you would be minimizing the amount of effect that would have. What you should do instead is say, okay, that I, that's a wonderful decision in advance. But before you write it down, let's do some role playing and some case studies on what might happen to you. We don't know for sure. But how about this? You're, let's say you're, you're 17 and a half. You're coming up on your 18th birthday, and you're planning to go on a mission. And let's say, son, if you can imagine this in your mind, that you fall in love with this girl, and she just begs you, oh, at least wait a year, honey. Don't go. We're so much in love, and, and we just have to wait a while to see if it's the right thing to do, what would you say? Or another case study, let's say that you're a fantastic baseball player and the, and the coach of the college team says, hey, 
if you'll come right now and 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 go to school and and get started, we'll give you a baseball scholarship. But if you go on this crazy mission idea, you who knows? You might not even be able to play. You might not even get on the team when you come home. Give them as many little potential roadblocks as you can, and and let it take a while. Let it be a couple of different days. And then when that little kid says to you, and maybe it's a year, maybe he's not ready to think about that yet, you're holding off on him putting that on his list until he's dead sure and maybe a year later he says, you know, I've thought about that, Dad. I'm going on a mission. Nothing will stop me. Then, awesome, write it down. And then when he writes it on his little list, this is important. We've worked with a lot of parents on this, and little little nuances make a difference. He doesn't just write, I will go on a mission. He writes that, and then he signs it with his little signature, and he dates it like it's a little contract with himself. Now, some parents say, ooh, that's cruel. That's, you're sort of brainwashing kids. You're sort of pushing them into something they're not ready for yet. Not not at all. Not, not at all. You're, you've led the child through a thought process that has allowed him to make a decision in advance. It's not a guarantee that he'll do the right thing, but it certainly is a bulwark that makes it more likely that he'll do the right thing. And, again, it's not all just negative stuff that they come up. It's also positive stuff. I mean, I I will go to college. Well, as he gets older, uh, he may, and he may decide he's going to a different kind of college than you had in mind. Or a vocational school. A vocational college. It's not necessarily important that he decides to go to college, but whatever he does decide is what you're saying, Linda. Well, yeah, or I'll finish high school. I mean, it depends on... Uh, where your child is, but almost every parent wants their child to have as much education as they can. But unless it's in the child's mind, unless they have ownership of the decisions, it's not going to make any difference. Right. And it also is not a guarantee, as you mentioned earlier. It's just no guarantee that that's absolutely going to work. But we have had so much good luck with this. All of our kids still have their lists, and I think they they were not thinking past marriage and family and so on, I don't think. So um, they aren't adding to that, but they have really accomplished all of their goals, I think, so far. Well, and the theory behind this, and most of you listeners are way ahead of us on this, the theory is simple. The theory is, and, and it's a true theory, most kids, when they make a really bad decision, and you can think of examples of this with your own kids or with other kids you know where on the spur of the moment, they've just done something really dumb. I mean, they really you just are not black-hearted little kids that are there to make your life miserable. I no, mean, they, the, the research shows that the reason they do that dumb thing that maybe results in an accident or in an addiction or in some other problem is because the peer pressure just nailed them. They, they just suddenly were hit head-on with a situation with peer pressure far beyond what they'd imagined. And... Being unprepared for it, having never thought it through in advance, they do the wrong thing. And sometimes families pay for that for years. Well, we'll just close this off by saying, you know, making decisions in advance is important for all of us. You know, we all have visions of what we want for our lives, and it may not turn out exactly as we wish. But really thinking about those things does make a huge difference in how our lives turn out. Whether we decide to be positive, uh, no matter what happens, all those kinds of things make a big difference. So be proactive. Prepare your kids for the toughest decisions by helping them make decisions in advance. We'll see you next time on Ayers on the Road. Good luck. 